to you by naturopathicearth.com. Here is certified health coach A. Gregory Luna with Confessions of an Obese Child. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another confession from A. Gregory Luna. You can call me Gregory. And today we're going to go over confession number 14, the big and tall store. I am so grateful that you've returned to Naturopathic Earth and my confessions. I appreciate it. Every time you click play or download or subscribe, it's like they say that uh, when someone's talking about you, you hear your ears ringing. Or what's, what's the It's a Wonderful Life? You know, I've never seen that movie, but something like every time you hear something, an angel gets its wings. That's actually theologically inaccurate. Angels were actually created as separate creatures. We don't become angels when we die. But either way, um, it really warms my heart every time you come back and listen to another episode of Confessions. Uh, we're rounding around to spring break. As some of you know I am a double certified health consultant or a health coach. I do that on the side, help people uh, get healthier either uh, through food or, or mindfulness. I do that on the side and then I'm a full-time high school teacher. Uh, I teach nutrition and all the medical classes and we're rounding around to spring break and spring break is interesting. You know, actually the whole school year calendar is pretty weird. Why do we have spring break? I mean, why do we still have this? This kind of harkens back to why do we have the summer off? There are many countries, and there's actually some districts here in the United States that actually have year-round schooling where they take about two weeks off every two months. or I guess it depends on the schedule or the district, but um, I guess the, the, the logic behind it is that these kids, or students, they forget so much during those 10 weeks where they're off. And we're not an agricultural society anymore, so what is the point of having the summer off aside from the fact that the teachers' unions like it. I don't necessarily think parents like it because parents have to figure out what to do with kids for 10 weeks in the summer. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't have any time off in the summer. Sure, I mean, there's time for summer trips and camping and the summer camp, which uh, I have a confession about. So um, definitely we need time off, but I don't think we need 10 weeks. I think it'd, it'd behoove all districts and the students and teachers to to change that schedule. Now, will I think it ever happened? No, as long as the teacher unions don't allow it. I know down here in Texas, the unions aren't as strong, but I don't foresee that happening, but it would make sense. But spring break, what, what is the point? First of all, it's too cold half the time to actually go to the beach to do the, per, the, the quintessential kind of spring break outing. Um, down here in Texas, we're only about, I'm in San Antonio, we're only about two and a half hours away from the coast, the coast. So it's not too bad, but it's, it's, it's kind of, it's obsolete, like, uh, daylight savings. Again, we're not reaping and harvesting the crop anymore. So daylight savings, we really don't need anymore. And frankly, who wants that extra hour in the morning? I think most people get down when we lose that hour in the evening, so let's keep that hour in the evening. We want sunlight at night and in the dusk after work so we can be outside or play with your kids or take a bike ride. Who needs that hour in the morning? It's kind of a waste. No one wants it to get dark at 4, 5, 6 p.m. So I say we do year-round schooling. And, of course, my opinion doesn't matter at all. And that's something you learn, like, in the first week of being a public school teacher is that we all kind of complain <laughs> and nothing ever changes because it's inertia. Anything that's run by the government, whether it be state or local, is inertia. And districts in themselves are naturally parasitic in that they can't generate their own, their own income. So we are, first of all, kind of slaves to the federal government because we receive money and funding. But part of that is that we have to do the bidding of the federal government, the Department of Education, and even on the state level. So, you know, Common Core is pretty controversial. That's trying to be implemented and a lot of a lot of districts are bucking against that. But you really don't have much autonomy when you're accepting money from the government. And that's kind of the deal that you make with the devil. So that I think that's one of the problems with with uh, public schools. But there's actually quite a few. You know, I think our school is pretty well run. 
Um, but I think even even administrators would would admit that uh, the times are changing. The kids going through the school are changing, and uh, it's just a different time. I mean, I remember walking down the hallway of my high school, and I see the pictures of old senior class photos. And my high school was uh, created back in the 50s. And you look at the pictures, and at the beginning, everybody's dressed in their church bass, Sunday bass, you know, back when we used to go to church. And then you see it kind of starts in the in the 60s, but definitely by the 80s, that's when you see the casual nature of the dress. And so now, in general, I think Americans, were way too casual in the way that we speak. Cussing, for example, and intentionally you misspelling words for it to be cool, like America's Got Talent or Kids Space with a Z. You know, all these things that we do, we intentionally misspell because it's hip to be stupid and hip to be ignorant and uneducated. And if you are educated, if you speak well, then you get the, oh, you think you're too good for us. But I think most people would admit that there's there, there's a decline in morality and there's a decline in, I think, just the public ethos and the idea of having um, a common cause. You know, there's been a lot of books published about how we no longer have any civic involvement and with with the increasing amount of television and of course computers and social media and video games, we don't really go out anymore. When people work, they come home, they eat, and then they flip on some screen for the rest of the night, and then they later complain how they can't sleep. Uh, there's no like bowling. There was there was a famous book called Bowling Alone that came out about 20 years ago. It was by written by a sociologist, and he talks about, or maybe it was a she. How uh, we don't we don't get involved in the PTA and we don't do bowling clubs and all the things that were very big in the sixties and seventies that built camaraderie and collegiality and a, a sense of like social cohesion amongst your neighbors. Now what happens is we all go home and we don't really know our neighbors, or if even worse, we're fearful of our neighbors. We look at everybody with suspicion. We don't let the kids go out. We think they're going to get molested or kidnapped. When statistically speaking, that is exceptionally rare. So our kids grow up coddled, insulated. They don't have any of their own experiences. Their imagination is stunted, which is exacerbated by the constant video games and social media, which doesn't spur the imagination. So I, I think it's a general lament. You know, we... we dress down we when you see people dress up when they go to the the, the mall or the supermarket it, you kind of look down at them now i mean like for example europeans when they when americans go to europe they the europeans can recognize us immediately because a we're fat you know we're the fattest country but b we wear caps and t-shirts and shorts and if you ever go to europe they're not wearing those things unless they're at the beach europeans even in the hottest months are going to be wearing nice trousers and a cool shirt and you know they love wearing the jeans or black or dark dark colors so i just kind of lament the fact that we don't really try anymore we just come home and just sit in front of a screen insulated and you know what they say like with the fall of the roman empire we're going to be eaten away internally to the point where it's going to be so easy for an external foe to vanquish us and you see that with america We've just, we're rotting from inside, either because of the breakdown of the family or the horrible food that we're giving them dumbs us down and makes us stupid, or the poor education or our obsession with things that we shouldn't be obsessed with, you know, to be vague. And even the music we listen to, a lot of it is not glorifying good moral virtues anymore. And I've mentioned whatever's virtue is vice and whatever whatever vice is now virtue, so... I, I fear for my children and I fear for this country and it has really nothing to do with Trump or Obama because honestly I don't I don't think it really matters who's the leader. There's a ruling elite that runs this country and they all espouse a different ideology so a certain constituency can look up to them and listen to them and be brainwashed by them. But it's all run by the same ruling elite that have a lot more in common with themselves than they do with us. They look down on us and just look at us as sheeple. I think it's a great analogy is if you look at like WWE or the old wrestling of the 80s where you'd have like Hulk Hogan and he represented the good guys and then you had, I don't know, um, 
Andre the Giant. I don't remember if Andre the Giant was bad or Macho Man or whoever the bad guys were, the British Bulldogs, going back to my 80s wrestling. I can't think who the who the bad guys were now, but Mean Gene. No, I don't think Mean Gene was. But anyways, so they have this like this this skit, this act that they play, you know, Hulk's the good guy and blah blah is the bad guy. And everyone's in the stands yelling and screaming, Yeah, yeah, you get him, Hulk, or you know, yeah, yeah, you get him, junkyard dog. And then it's all a stage. It's a ruse. It's all a joke. Afterwards, these guys go back and they have a drink and they're just getting rich and just laughing at us. And that's what politicians do. You got to get out of that myopia that the Republicans are good or bad or the Democrats are good and bad. All of our politicians are corrupt to the core. They are corrupt. And if you're looking for government to save you, you're looking in the wrong place because government doesn't give a damn about you. The only person that's going to save you is you. And if you're waiting for some savior to come, some political savior, whether it be Trump or Obama or Clinton, it's not going to happen as our country devolves and devolves. So that's my political downer. I'm sure most of you guys are like, darn it, Gregory, just get to your freaking confession. So anyway, so we're going to go to confession 14. The Big and Tall Store. People judge you on what you wear and how you speak is an adage I was told as a child. Well, if this was the case as a kid, they must have thought I was an untouchable. For purchasing apparel as an obese kid is akin to watching the sun wane in the twilight. The older and fatter you get, the quicker the fashionable apparel slips away. This is really true. Yeah, but you definitely are judged on the way you speak. I tell that to my students. If somebody comes in, they're like, uh, dude, like, you know, uh, uh, like, I'm going to, like, run for, like, city council, council, yeah, and, uh, like, I'm gonna... people just tune out. You know, you have to be articulate. You got to work on your public speaking. And I hated doing it. Listen to Invisible Student. I hated doing it, but it's true. You have to, people judge you if you're articulate or not. And they also judge you in how you dress. There's tons of studies showing that the better dressed you are, the more articulate you are, the taller you are. People judge you as being more competent, whether or not that's true or not. So just remember that. Try to dress up. You know, we always have this fascination for dress down, fill in the blank. You had any work, right? Dress down Friday. How about we have dress up Monday? Let's all wear our Sunday best. But anyways, I was mentioning how the older you get, um, the, the, the fashion, the, the fashion choices get, they diminish quite a bit. And I'll mention that in a second. Even in kindergarten, I knew the clothes were getting tight. At that age, I began to be called fat and tubalard. I noticed that all my clothes fitted tightly. My mom would buy new jeans or pants, but soon too, those were tight. My underwear was also constricting, for I remember coming home every night with red stretch marks on my waist due to the tight fit. And here's the thing about clothes. You know, this is the, the to be or not to be about buying new clothes. When your clothes are getting tight, a lot of people get a bigger size. And, and for like a little while, they'll be like, whew, I feel better now, you know. And then, because I guess they want to rationalize and not think that they've gained weight. But then eventually those might get tight too. So probably the best thing is just keep wearing tight clothes. But I do remember distinctly uh, having those those stretch marks and I just buy more clothes. And again, you know, it's like kids don't don't know racism until we teach it to them. Kids who are fat don't know that they're fat. They don't know the concept of fat until somebody calls them fat. And then the shame kicks in and then you try to distract it with humor or you insulate and turn within. But it, it it's just a shame that we have to label each other ugly, stupid, ignorant, fat, freckled, acneed. It just it's it's just tough. You you always see those kids who walk up to people and they have no filter, like mommy, he's black. Or daddy, he's fat, you know, and you're like, Oh now, 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 son. You know, there's no filter at that age, so Anyways, the uniform. Up around to about age 12, I purchased clothes at a regular department store. But my years of binge eating and as a competitive pizza eater took a toll on me. Listen to that podcast. 
When you entered junior high at my Catholic elementary school, you had to wear a vest. Now, any of you who have matriculated your kids into a private school, you know that you have to purchase uniforms at a certain affiliate-designated store. Well, at mine, the extra-large clothes didn't fit. So at my Catholic school, when you were from kindergarten to fifth grade, you just wore a white shirt and navy pants. And then when you got to junior high, sixth, seventh, and eighth, you got to wear the vest. You got upgraded. You were sent to a different hallway where you were in junior high and you were all legit. And so the girls got to wear a certain skirt and we got to wear vests. Well, my mother asked the principal what to do because the extra large clothes weren't fitting. She granted us the license to purchase regular white polo shirts and navy pants at any store. But the vest was a different story. And for whatever reason, she was a stickler. She was pretty intransigent. She said we had to figure something out or I could not move up into junior high. My mother, doing her best, the thinker impersonation, impression, you know, the Rodin sculpture, came up with an idea. So on my first day of junior high, and this was back in 86, I came to school wearing a vest, but it was a special vest. It was a vest made of two vests sewed into one. Yeah. So, similar to my unauthorized gym shorts, the kids saw right through this and the perfunctory spewed vitriol on me. Two vests, one fatty. Hey, fatty, did you eat the other kid? Is he going to come out in your SHIT? You know, I got a lot of that. It was just horribly embarrassing. I remember that first day of school very well. I remember I parked on the side street and you know there were two entrances, the elementary school and then the junior high. And so I had my vest. So what my mom did was buy two vests, cut them in half and then sewed them together. So I had a right and left sleeve. Uh, but the kids were just brutal, you know, and I, you know, I probably would have been brutal too. I mean, it's like, too easy. It's just too easy not to insult somebody who comes in like that. It really is. And so, of course, I was embarrassed. You know, I was absolutely embarrassed. And I had to wear that vest for three years. Three years. Hmm. Yeah. Elastic land. Later in my tweens, I was forced to begin frequenting the big and tall stores. Now, there was only one in Houston, at least that I remember. It was in Pasadena. I kind of lived in in West Houston. Pasadena was a refinery area in the east side, kind of where Urban Cowboy took place, that old John Travolta, Deborah Winger cowboy movie. It was a good 30 miles probably from my house. And I have distinct memories of this place. It was like a stench of shame emanated from it. As with the, all good stores and all good brands and, and food items, you know, the marketing always looks better than the real, the real thing. So there were pictures of attractive big and tall models all around the walls, but they belied the dripping sadness that you could feel when you walked in. The tall adults, of which there were a few, were freakishly tall. They weren't like large basketball players, Shaquille O'Neal, LeBron kind of tall, or linebacker big. They probably had gigantism or acromegaly. Those are two conditions in which the pituitary gland secretes too much growth hormone, either prior to puberty or before puberty. And I think you probably have seen pictures of the, the, the freakishly tall. No offense to them. The other obese kids saw each other at the big and tall store and gave a nod of recognition and defeat. Looking at each other, mired in self-loathing, there was a commiserating bond. We thought in our heads, you're in this freaky place too. We telepathized as we followed our mothers around sulking. The girls had it worse. Women already inculcated into the self-defining importance of fashion, bore the heavier burden. And this is true. I've mentioned this before. Something like 70% of department stores are geared toward women. 
women clothes, women shoes, women makeup, because women are the ones, I don't know if they're easier to manipulate, but maybe just because of the view of, and it's unfortunate, but a woman's value is kind of determined by her her beauty and her fertility. So a woman might have from 15 to about 40, 45 years old, and then she becomes menopausal and infertile. And it's almost like they're put out to, to pasture, so to speak, in terms of advertising and the, that that coveted 18 to 40 demographic. And so women are inundated with this idea that you have to buy this item, buy this makeup, buy this shampoo, and you'll look like this model or you'll you'll dress like this model, but it's all a sham because you're never going to look like that model. But it's something we strive for that we can really never accomplish. You know, we can never reach that. The mothers openly berated the girls on their obesity, criticizing everything they tried on. It seemed that the moms were more upset. They themselves were at such a degrading place than the plight of their fat daughters. So it, it was tough for guys. I remember going there and like I hated going to the big and tall. I hated it. Because aside from the long drive, I mean, it was like you knew when you were going there that only fat kids went there, right? It's, and as much as they had the, the model pictures and all that, I mean, you could see through that when you're a teenager. And that's why this place was dripping with shame. It was just a horrible place. Versace clearly never made a contract with big and tall stores. <laughs> These stores should have been called, quote, overpriced, underfashioned, elastica land, close quote. To understate, their quality of clothes was unpalatable as unflavored rice cakes. And for some reason, I don't know why, but big and tall store clothes were always unfashionable. And I don't know if they just thought the, the makers... Or like, well, these people aren't going to get, you know, they're not going to get action. They're just, you know, they're, they're useless pieces of garbage. So why do we have to make nice clothes? You know, they're like, let's just give them the worst clothes to worsen their, their high school experiences. Because as it is, at that age, you're so concerned about fashion and how you look. And you'll spend hours in the mirror to make sure you look great. And so this just made it worse because these clothes were ugly. They were all bright colors, horrible patterns. And of course, the inflated prices abounded, as if it cost so much more to add a couple extra inches of clothes to justify the, the 75% you know, price hike. If you don't know this, big and tall clothes are expensive. I even see it like in, in t-shirts at, at the high school. You know, there's, there's sports clubs will buy t-shirts, and I even see it in the pricing. It's like it's a certain price, $10 a t-shirt from extra small to extra large. But then 2X to 3X, that's $15. So it's like you're almost being punished for being fat. Now, I get it. You might have to use more material, but is it really that much to justify the cost? I don't think so. Of course, the stores feature the ubiquitous elastic. After all, elastic is the obese person's best friend. I mean, because... You never know if you're getting fatter, right? And everything just adjusts bigger and bigger and bigger. And, and then next thing you know, the weight's crept up on you. And that, this happens to all of us. You know, your weight creeps up, especially if you don't wear form-fitting or tight clothes. When you wear anything elastic, you just it just gets bigger and you don't even notice it. And then you blink. And then you, when you look in the mirror, lots of times you don't even notice it. You know, you there's a condition called body uh, dysphoric dysmorphic disorder, body dysmorphic disorder. When you, you look in the mirror and you see somebody that's not you, and in most people, especially women, and most people, they look in the mirror and they see somebody that's fatter than what they really look. Rarely do people look in the mirror and see somebody skinnier, but sometimes they do. When you look in the mirror, you, you see yourself one way when you're in fact bigger than you really are. So it's kind of like uh, dysmorphia, but, but in a different way. So I mean, for many years, I I didn't even even after I lost my weight, I didn't even look at myself in the mirror. I would look at my face to shave, but even then, I would turn off the lights and shave in the dark, as if I was embarrassed about my face. But certainly, I wouldn't look at my body naked in full light. And even now, I don't ever do that. I mean, partly because I don't understand the point of why you would want to look at your naked body in full light, but um. 
it's just well anyways going back to elastic we we tend to see ourselves as one way and then you blink and then the next moment you mention it you're 15 to 20 pounds overweight so that's why you really need to wear form-fitting clothes but even when you wear form-fitting clothes you don't always notice and you're like oh it's tighter because the the dryer shrank the clothes right you know we always we always find ways to rationalize everything and yeah, you just blink and you've gained weight. Kind of like in uh, Freshman 15. You know, this is something that we try to warn the the seniors is that uh, it's it's not that uncommon for for freshmen, college freshmen to gain 15 pounds, especially the girls. The reason for this is, you know, you you've broken away from the the tyranny of your parents and now you're living alone if you're living on campus. You might have a $2,000 meal card. A lot of these uh, universities have 24-hour cafeterias or fast food. You might be drinking, you might be going to parties, you're not sleeping that well, you're not working out, you've kind of lost the schedule of school and maybe sports, and so now you really have to have a lot of discipline to study and to, and to work out and, and, to, and to optimize your time. You know, it's just so easy to for kids to take their first class at like noon because they want to sleep in late. You know, I've ever telling the kids like, when I was young... When I was in college, I'd take the eight o'clock class and I'd do all my classes done by eleven and that way I had a whole day to myself. You know, I was like who and then of course the the, the goody goody brainy types, oh that's a good idea, Mr. Luna, that's a great idea. And all the other kids are like, You were such a loser in college, weren't you? <laughs> Why would you want to wake up at eight if you don't have to wake up at eight? Well, we all have different circadian rhythms and I tend to wake up early. I'm not much of a, a late owl. But it does make a lot of sense to take your classes early and not late. But to each his own. To each his own. So, elastic. It was the obese person's best friend next to food and, of course, the closet. Wherever you can go hide your shame or eat in the closet. I don't remember much eating in the closet. I ate a lot in the pantry, walk-in pantries. You know, my mom or dad weren't around or even as an adult. And craft food and just eat in the pantry. You know, we with the binge eaters like to eat in private. We don't like to eat in public. Yeah. It adjusts to your needs more so than any person ever could. You're elastic. You know, elastic doesn't judge you. Even as a teenager, I would look at the adults and feel pity for them. And for me, as well, I knew ultimately, regardless of my parents' laxity and permissiveness, it was my fault that I was morbidly fat on the quick road to a stigmatized, abbreviated life. These patrons were already there, likely on the road, never to leave it without an immediate intervention. So, you know, I would I would see these people and, and I'd feel for them because they were, I mean, I'm, I mean, I was probably, you know, in the mid 200s at this point, but some of the people I saw there were probably 400, had a cane, four, even sometimes 500. And back then we didn't have the motorized cars, you know, you had the little motorized wheelchairs that the overweight have now. And so, you know, you look at these people and it's like, like I mentioned, when you'd walk in and see another fat kid, you kind of commiserate and you gave that look. But the adults, it was even worse because back then we didn't have bypass surgery. And that was going to be their lot. You know, thank God for bypass. Now, I didn't have it. And there was a time where maybe 15, 20 years ago, I resented people who had bypass because they're like, oh, you did it the easy way with surgery. I had to do it the hard way. I don't feel that way anymore. I think bypass is a lifesaver for a lot of people. Because when you're five, 600 pounds, you're not going to lose the weight the old-fashioned way. You need immediate intervention. And if you know anybody who's had bypass, you do drop the weight, but there are complications. You have to go back and have the surgery done every 10 years. There's certain foods you can't eat. They even do a psychological evaluation on these people beforehand because there's a higher rate of, of suicide. So, I mean, I'm glad it's there. If you are morbidly overweight and you know you can't lose it the normal way, Go ahead and do the, the bariatric surgery because, I mean, honestly, what other options are there? 
So I looked at these people and I didn't want to become them, but I didn't know how not to become them. They didn't want to be there and certainly they didn't want to be fat. They didn't want to be the victim of whatever trauma occurred to them as a child that caused them to turn to food. But alas, they were there. Now this goes back to my prevailing theory that most people are overweight because something happened to them. If you look at a a regular kid, tabula rasa, clean slate, going back to Aristotle, you know, with no prejudices, no racism, and they have a normal view of food. Well, what distorts that? Something distorts that in the obese kid. Either physical trauma, sexual trauma, a parent maybe dumping all their, their, their food phobia on their kid. Maybe they saw a car accident. I mean, there's a host of reasons. But the majority of people in my, in my humble opinion are not overweight because they have a thyroid condition. Most of them is because we emotionally ate. And so, even the overweight people, the very overweight, it, it's not like they choose that. They, they, they eat because that's their, that's their comfort, just like cutters cut, to escape from whatever torment they're having. They do it because that's, that, that's their only kept coping mechanism that they really know. You learn that it's kind of like old people who still drive Oldsmobiles or Buicks because that was like the best car back in the 50s and they don't want to leave that product because it was a really good product back in the 50s and they don't realize that they're not good products anymore. You know, like product loyalty. It's the same thing. These kids, they learned to turn to food when they were 10, 12, 14, 15 and that's what they turn to for the rest of their life. So... You have to feel sympathy for any of you who are listening who are overweight. I'm sorry people aren't sympathetic to you. And I know it's so easy to, to shame fat people and say, well, you, you know, you control what's in your mouth. And I've heard, I've heard my students say this because I've brought this up like in just in passing, you know, is obesity, uh, a disorder like alcoholism is alcoholism a disorder an addiction what is it and you know a lot of my students have this mentality that you know you control what you put in your mouth and if you become fat that's your fault now there's a certain truism to that we we no one is shoving food down our throat no one is but what are the predisposing factors what are the the kind of the predilections that are causing you to put food in your mouth and for that we need to be sympathetic we need to be sympathetic but at the same time, if you see somebody binge eating, like I mentioned in the previous podcast, at an all-you-can-eat buffet, I, mean, I, I don't know what's the best intervention. Like if, if you are a loved one, kind of like an Al-Anon for food people, like a, what are they called, Overeaters Anonymous, and the Al-Anon version of that, what is the best way to intervene? I, don't, I really don't know. My parents intervened and sent me to a host of dietitians prior to, to me losing my weight when I was 17 and I wasn't ready for it, but I guess it's better to try to intervene than not intervene at all. Cause lots of times kids are just looking for discipline. They're looking for attention. And, and the fact that you're trying shows that you love them. Even if we're in complete denial or we lash on or we're angry because, you know, you just don't love me the way I am. Cause I'm fat. You know, we might lash out that way, but I mean, I think deep down we're happy that at least somebody cares that we're, we're hurting ourselves. I loathed my quote-unquote special clothes. They were a gross stigma, a mark, that I was different than the other children, just like my vest. Now, it's not tantamount to the Holocaust tattoos, but corrupting to the psyche nonetheless. I looked around at everyone at school or at the mall and hated them. The fact that they took their skinniness for granted. The fact that they could wear anything and eat anything without an utter thought how others couldn't. It bothered me. It bothered me. And, and it's like, even today, we most of us can walk without any pain. And you think the paralyzed people or the people who can't walk or the people who have to poop out of a colostomy bag because they can't defecate the normal way. 
they must feel the exact same way, how we just take it for granted. And we're not, I mean, how many of us are praying to God every night, thank you for that I can walk and without pain, or thank you for my house, or thank you that I don't live in, you know, abject poverty. I mean, some of us do, and God bless you for having the wherewithal and the gratitude to do that, but a lot of people don't. But I would look around at these kids, and I would just hate them. It's like, you don't know what it's like. I hate you. You can do whatever you want, eat whatever you want, date whatever girl you wanted, and you didn't have to go through all the crap that I've had to go through, which I've talked about in these confessions. So, I mean, it bothered me. And if it bothers you, let yourself process that and let yourself be bothered by it. But at the same time, don't hate other people because look at it this way. Would you really want all of them to be in the same horrible place you're at or you're at right now? No, we don't want that. Somebody who's good, it's like the, de- the definition of success. We shouldn't resent the successful. We should laud them and praise them and hope that we can be successful one day, that we can do what they did instead of hating the rich or hating the good looking. The people who do that are, are mired in their own self-hatred and their own pettiness. So if you see somebody who is or who was or can eat whatever they want and wear whatever they want, just be happy for them that they don't have to go through what you're going through. And just pray to God that you can work through whatever you're going through and that you can reach that point. That's the goal, to be able to eat what you want and wear what you want. But certainly process it and acknowledge the fact that it made you angry. My older brother, popular and handsome, was the epitome of blind, carefree lifestyle. It was so unfair. I hated myself for getting into this position of being fat and having to go to big and tall stores, which of course just fueled the next binge. Now, I love my, I love my brother, okay? and I'm going to write a confession about him not him per se, but just what it was like to have a, an older brother who was very popular and handsome. But, uh, you know, it was tough. Yeah, my, th- this reminds me of like 80s fashion, right? 80s fashion. So, you millennials don't, you probably can you know, like watch I Love the 80s or stuff like that. But uh, we used to have like the horrible perms. Like the 70s had bad perms too. But the 80s, the the the, the perms, you know, I think of like think of like classic rock bands like Poison, Guns N' Roses, you know, the man had all the perms. And those are just the rock guys, the rock bands. The typical guys didn't have that. Maybe they had a mullet. But the women, oh my God. I mean, whoever thought that perms were good looking that made women look better? They were horrible. You know, we had the Gap. The Gap was like the go-to store back in the 80s. And I remember going to the Gap. You know, I never bought clothes at the Gap, but they always had like the colored caps. I was so into colored caps, even after I lost my weight. So what I would do is I would wear like like shorts, like a khaki shorts, and then I'd get like a blue polo shirt and then wear the blue Gap cap that matched it or the red gap cap with the red shirt. You know, I just remember a lot about the gap. And of course the gap was way overpriced and I couldn't even tell you what store is really big with kids right now. Aeropostale for all I know. I don't know. Abercrombie and Fitch, who knows? But those prices are so outrageous. Like why are we spending $150 on jeans? Now this is the pragmatist in me. If I can just go to, I don't heaven forbid, J.C. Penney's or Academy and get $30 jeans that are essentially just as well stitched as the fashionable brands. Why not do that? You know, even after I lost my weight, I never bought brand name clothes. I just, I just, it, it's like, it's like alcohol drinking. And I've told this to my friends and my students. I've never been truly drunk in my life. And one of the reasons this is, is because when I was fat, I didn't, I wasn't invited to parties, right? And so if you're not invited to parties and you're hanging out with your Monty Python, Star Trek, Magic the Gathering geek, geek friends, you know, typically they're not going to be drinking and smoking marijuana. But it's when you go to the high school parties is where you're introduced to those vices. So, 
Since I wasn't invited to those parties, that was kind of a blessing. And then after I lost my weight, I went to college. And this is a completely separate podcast. This is the post-weight loss podcast. But I didn't like what, what alcohol, how I associated alcohol, given the, the, how it ran in my family and like the people, the frat boys who would drink. It were kind of the same kids that made fun of me. So I kind of made an effort not to drink. And then you reach a certain age around 24, 25, where you see through all the BS at that point, if you didn't pick up a vice by that age, you're really not going to pick one up. This is why the, the advertisers are so into marketing to the youth because their tastes can, are very malleable and they can change. But they don't target to 40-year-old, 50-year-old, 60-year-old people. Because I mentioned before, the, the old people, they love their Buick. And even at my age... I know what I like and what I want. And when you watch commercials, you either yell at the screen or just go, whatever. You can see right through the BS. Whereas 18-year-olds don't have that discernment, and that's why they're so susceptible to advertising. And going back to the department store, now 70% of it's geared toward women. So we see through that. We totally see through that. But, oh, I forgot. I was talking about fashion, but going back to... uh, Oh yeah, overpriced jeans. Yeah, just just come on. If you really want to rebel, teenagers, if you really want to rebel, get off your smartphones, get off social media, respect your parents, live a good life, because that's exactly what they want you to do. See, kids think they're rebelling when they're doing all the things that big media is telling them to do so they can buy their product and be enslaved to them. So if you want to be really different kids... To do the exact opposite of what the media is telling you to do. I go back to that saying, you make fun of me for being different and I make fun of you, make fun of all of you for being the same. Don't be a sheeple. Beat to your own drum, whatever that drum is. Amen. Amen. Anyways, yeah, so we had fat laces. We had neon fat laces. These were like the shoestrings. You know, we, we wore like uh, the, the uh, high tops. Well, there were a lot of like Nike high tops. Even though we didn't play basketball, right? You wore high tops. And then we would get these fat, like fluorescent neon yellow and pink fat shoelaces. They were really, really fat. That was big at that that time. Uh, you know, the girls wore a lot of like those, those springy, like slinky bracelets. I remember those and just a lot of perm and bright colors, you know, like Debbie Gibson. Oh man, Debbie Gibson. She was one of my favorite crushes, the late eighties. I knew so much about Debbie, my girl, Debbie, for you millennials. She was, uh, if you ever watch how I met your mother, um, what's her name? Oh my God. The one that 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 uh, Kobe Smolder's character, Robin, yeah. So Robin's from from Canada, and she has that alter ego that's Robin Sparkles. Robin Sparkles, if you've ever seen that show, is a direct ripoff of Debbie Gibson. The fashion, everything. No, is that Debbie Gibson was a sixteen-year-old teenage singer in the late '80s. She had a lot of hits, like. Um, only in my dreams and out of the blue and lost in your eyes. And she was the youngest girl to ever win a Grammy for writing and uh, singing um, a song. She was the youngest one to win a Grammy and she was gigantic in the late 80s, just bubblegum pop, sweet girl. But she epitomized kind of that fashion, that 80s fashion. My brother was really into clothes, you know, and I couldn't wear any of his clothes until I lost my weight. But I remember he he had a lot of J. Crew, and I remember he had a lot, a lot of pink shirts and blue shirts. And I was like, God, aren't you going to be called gay if you wear those shirts? But you know, looking back, it's like it shows actually that you're hyper masculine. Now, part of it is that the '80s you could wear those shirts, the the bright pink, the bright blue. Uh, the light blue, because if you watch like old John Hughes movies, they're all wearing that like white slacks with a pink shirt. But also it shows that you're masculine because it really just shows that you don't give an F what other people think. You just own your fashion. That's what you got to own your fashion. And so he had great wardrobes. He he always, had, and even today, I mean, he is an incredible dresser and he buys brand name clothes and he always looks good. And that's part of, part of his, it's what his job is, but he's always been into clothes. You know, he's always kind of been a fashion role model to me. But 
And then the 90s came around and grunge, I, I did not care for grunge. I didn't care for the music. You know, Jeremy's barking. He, 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 I'm Eddie Vedder. He. Yeah. And then Nirvana, I hate that. I mean, it, Nirvana was okay. They had a couple good songs, but eh, I just didn't get into that. I was already into my 80s new wave, and I just didn't get into that music. But the def, the grunge look, I mean, I do have I do have pictures of me wearing flannel in the early to mid-90s, even though I was in the hot Texas, right? But as a whole, I really didn't get into that, you know. But anyways, let's finish this up. Now I have perspective. I'm able to fit into any clothes I want while obese people cannot. And I've been blessed. That is truly a blessing that I count every day. Every day I pray to God when I wake up and when I go to sleep. And then, of course, when I go to Mass. And I still thank God for having me lose the weight that I did. And I lost the weight through serendipity, but also through hard work. And, I mean, I've essentially been doing cardio and or lifting for four times to five times a week for the last 25 years. So it's not some blind fluke that it happened. No, like the, 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 I guess the impetus of losing the weight could have been serendipity or providence. But since then I've, I've had to put in hard work, but I do thank God for having lost the weight and not allowing me to have a major injury or whatnot. I wonder if the children of those obese teenagers at the store that I had solidarity with are in that plight now. The children of the guys I saw, they were overweight and we know that obesity can be generational because either, you know, you, you poor modeling, you know, you drank sodas all the time, so your kids will drink sodas or out of ignorance of what food is good and what food's not good. But it's not that uncommon if you're overweight that your kids will be o- overweight as well. So... I hope they aren't. If they are, I pray they will lose weight the old-fashioned way or at least the use of some sort of wonder drug or gastric bypass. Either way, survivor guilt pervades the adult me all the time. And this is something I'm going to talk about, survivor guilt, later on. You know, why did I lose the weight and not others? You know, I, I thought most of my adolescence that I would never have any sort of intimacy with a girl or even kiss a girl. You know, why why was I able to lose the weight and others didn't? You know, why was I able to then have some of those um, experiences while others didn't? It's something that I deal with even today. So I do pray and I count my blessings for that. And I pray for people who haven't gone through that. And I want them to to, to be able to lose weight. Because I, don't, I definitely don't believe in fat shaming, but I also don't believe in fat praising. You know, you see that's kind of a, a thread too. Well, I'm fat and I'm proud. Now, there's some problems with that. Now, I think we should accept who we are. And not try to fit into like a mold, like heroin chic Kate Moss mold. That's that's a goal that no woman is ever going to achieve. That leads to anorexia, right? We're not built to be Kate Moss. A lot of women aren't. So embrace your curves. This is a, a kind of a secret that a lot of women don't know. But women like curvy women. I'm sorry, men like curvy women. We don't like Kate Moss heroin chic. We really don't. So, I mean, that, that's something to remember. But I, I don't think it's good to laud obesity because it, it's not so much the stigma, the social stigma, but it's more of how it just decreases your quality of life and how it's going to shorten your lifespan because you're going to get a higher rate of the metabolic diseases like high cholesterol and hypertension and heart disease and diabetes plus cancer and all these other things. So, I mean, it's a fine line because you don't want to shame people and be like, oh, you're fat. You sh- But at the same time, you want to kind of push them to lose the weight because you want them to live longer and have a good quality of life. So, and also I, I kind of see the the irony because a lot of these Hollywood actresses, I remember Christy Allen was this, day, was this way, and you, you young people probably don't remember her. But she'd be like, "This is I'm fat. This is the way I am." And she was she was relatively skinny. And then she gained a lot of weight after Cheers, the TV show, and then she lost the weight later. And then a lot of actresses, after they lose the weight, you know, they're all fat, proud, and then they lose the weight, and then they they mention why 
you know, they were like, oh, I was going through, you know, emotional eating or an eating disorder and da-da-da-da-da, and how they're much happier. See, they get on the cover of magazines after they lose the weight. But if you were really happy when you were overweight, then why are you broadcasting it to everybody and why are you giving everybody secrets to weight loss? So I think a lot of people who are fat braggers or fat acceptance, they do that because that's just a shield. It's a shield to protect them and it's completely understandable. But I'm sure they, they would rather be healthy weight. It's like the saying I have. It's like nobody shops at Walmart if you can shop at Whole Foods. Or nobody drives um, a Corolla if you can drive a Maserati. You know, no one lives in like you know, drug-infested gunshot ridden neighborhood if you can live in a safe neighborhood or, or a wealthy neighborhood with a big house. So lots of times we will spin it a certain way to, to justify it. So like, for example, do-gooder liberals would be like, I want to live in the inner city and be shot at every night, right? But really, they they really don't typically. So it's, it's kind of the same thing. It's like we don't, if we could choose it, I think most people would want to have a body habitus and a lifestyle that would, would extend their life, not shorten it. But at the same time, we all have to accept each other for who we are. So it's it's a very sticky point. And I am in no place to tell people exactly how to do that. But these are just my experiences, and this is just my opinion and how I see things. So That's the end of Confession Number 14, The Big and Tall Store. You can find all my written confessions at www.naturopathicearth.com, naturo, N-A-T-U-R-O, pathicearth.com. Or you can just Google Confessions of an Obese Child. And of course, you can find all these podcasts on iTunes, hopefully on Stitcher or any of the droid-based platforms. I would appreciate you subscribing to the podcast. Please contact me and give me your opinion. If you think I'm totally full of, you know what, that's great. Let's have a dialogue. Uh, Contact me if you need a health coach. I'm here for you as well. But just reach out to me because I want to talk to people. I've talked to a lot of people. I, I do appreciate the feedback that I've gotten on iTunes and on my website. Just just contact me. I'd, I'd really appreciate it. Until then, just take care of yourself and let's just find a road that that brings us happiness. We know it's so easy for us to be negative about ourselves and then be negative and be haters toward others. And what good does that accomplish? We want to just elevate everybody and we want to elevate ourselves and just optimize ourselves and be the best people we can. And when we falter, let's not beat ourselves up. Let's not flagellate ourselves. Let's not go binge eat or, or go drink or something because we're human and we're going to make mistakes. So I guess in just in short, just, just love ourselves and love others and just be good to one another. I know that sounds so hackneyed, but it's true. So until next time, take care. I love you. God bless. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Confessions of an Obese Child. Make sure to visit us at www.naturopathicearth.com for additional confessions, wellness articles, recipes, and a whole lot more. Leave us a review on iTunes and subscribe to this podcast. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Naturopath Earth. See you next time.